Hello and welcome to the Global Insight from Control Risks, the Global Specialist Risk Consultancy. I'm Claudine Fry. And I'm Charles Hecker. This is the podcast where we try to explain what's going on in the world and what it means for business. Claudine, we're going to go hardcore today into tech and we'll be venturing into cyberspace, or more precisely, into the adventures and misadventures of business in cyberspace. I have to tell you, Claudine, I consider myself, I guess, cyber proficient, but not cyber fluent. I still have these fairly frequent teach grandpa how to use the remote (laughs) moments. Fortunately, I have 24-7 tech support in the form of two totally switched on teenage nephews who are basically the IT department for our entire extended family. There isn't anything that these two guys can't explain, fix, or install, and I'd be lost without them. Claudine, are you cyber fluent? Are you cyber proficient? Or are you also sometimes wondering where the on-off switch is? You know what, Chuck? I think it depends who you're comparing me to. (laughs) But yes, I do increasingly rely on two children who are under the age of 10, in fact, in truth. We're incredibly fortunate today to have two colleagues with us who are beyond cyber fluent. They are cyber multilingual and actually multilingual. And they have a pretty important message that we're going to talk about today. And it goes something like this. How companies spend their money on cyber in the next five years will probably determine whether or not they're in business at all in the next 10 years. We should stop considering technology as a tool and really see it as the fundamental paradigm or DNA change that it is for us as individuals and for our businesses. That was Nick Rice, a partner in our cyber practice based in London. All these devices are being connected. The attack surface for organization is just you know, massive. It will need to come with a lot of agility in terms of how do we defend against this? How do we mitigate some of the associated risk with this new technology adoption? That was Stina Connor, a senior analyst in our cyber threat intelligence team who works in our Copenhagen office, but is talking to us today from her home in Sweden. Nick, Stina, we could have 10 weeks of podcasts, each of them on a different theme in cyber and digitalization. Tell us why we're talking about digitalization and the risks to business today. Well, Chuck, the reason why we're talking about this now is that there's been a fundamental acceleration in the landscape. What we tend to see now from our clients, and I think more broadly when we look at what's happening in every country is that companies have spent and are spending a lot of money in their digital transformations. What that means is fundamentally they're transforming the way they do business. They're transforming not just how they do it, but where they do it and what they actually fundamentally do. And we see this in investments like cloud infrastructure. We see this investments like everyone will have heard about artificial intelligence and the advents of data analytics. You know, we're, we're also talking about quantum computing, quantum cryptography, everybody wants to invest in Bitcoin, then all of this fundamentally goes and comes down to a rapid advancement and investment by the private sector, but also public institutions in technology. 
and we talk about it today because tied to this investment and, and this leveraging of these new capabilities, there's a, a swath of different risks from cyber attacks to conflicting regulations to politics getting in the mix of, of everything that touches on tech. It's single-handedly, and maybe I'm a little bit biased when I say this, but it is single-handedly the most significant risks faced by every company out there. And you know, when you look at the next 10 to 15 years, it, it's, it's only going to become more important. Does this mean that if you are charged with cybersecurity at your company, that you've got an open checkbook? Although not an open checkbook by any means, we have seen a fundamental redistribution of security budgets and, and particularly with the amount of investments that have been made since the onset of the pandemic in digital technologies and the reliance both by operational technology and by traditional information technology on the need for better agility, flexibility, and security, we have seen budgets increase. And we do expect in the near future to see continued growth in cybersecurity budgets around the world because fundamentally, it is one of the most significant existential risks that everyone is facing around the world. Stina, is that the same in the Nordic region? I think one of the key kind of challenges that we hear from, from clients, in particular cybersecurity teams, is around, you know, you have technology investment, technology adoption on the one hand, where we really see that massive kind of investment from businesses to, to advance this. On the other hand, you've got kind of the cyber risks that potentially are linked to that because those two go very much hand in hand. And I think one of the, the key challenges at the moment is really to kind of make sure that those two sides marry up and connect. So the technology strategies and, and, and the technology you adopt is met with appropriate kind of risk management strategies to actually account for some of the cyber threats and cyber risks that, that come from those new technologies. Given this incredible investment that's being made and the rapid progress on digitalization, can we look into the future and get a sense of what the digital environment will actually look like in five years from now? Presumably that's quite a long time in, in the world of cyber. What, what are the decisions being made today that will eliminate or create risks? We are just on the cusp of, for the very first time in the history of tech, to have more devices connected to each other than we have sort of humans connected to the internet. What that means is the thing called the internet of things, those devices that you never really see, you never necessarily touch, and that don't require human interference, are now way more numerous in terms of internet connection. That means that automation is progressing very rapidly. And automation is being enabled by better connectivity. Everybody's heard about 5G. You know, we're already seeing the patents come out for 6G. We're seeing radical changes in the way the internet itself is being architected. You have private companies that are launching low orbit satellites to connect parts of the world that aren't connected. We are in the next five to 10 years probably going to have multiple billions of new internet users coming online. And that's just fundamentally going to reshape the way the world works. The time it will take to implement and make decisions on technology is just going to reduce drastically. And that means that the risks associated with the wrong decisions are going to be much more pronounced. And I think just adding to that as well, if we look um, a bit more on kind of the risk 
side of things, there is that systemic cyber risk that stem from this kind of increased interconnectivity, this increased reliance on various digital services and, and, and devices, where very much what we kind of see at the moment is where, you know, an attack on one node in this kind of interconnected world does have kind of reverberations far beyond the intended victims if we look at kind of the cyber threat landscape. And this will only kind of expand when companies become more reliant on these technologies, when they become more widely adopted, when we see this expansion of of kind of interconnectivity between individuals and organizations. Given the scope of change and this pace of change that you're both describing, how do companies avoid constantly being on the back foot? For companies not to be on the back foot, it is fundamentally about treating this risk and the challenges associated with technology through the same means that we have treated other risks. I'm always somewhat surprised and at times concerned when we work with some of our clients or in the discussions that are happening around the industry and around technology and digital transformation to hear organizations talk about the significant investments that they're making in artificial intelligence and advanced data analytics and even now quantum computing without necessarily a concern or a consideration for the long-term consequences of these choices. Whether you decide to operate on a laptop, on a cell phone, or tomorrow to significantly invest in artificial intelligence, we should stop considering technology as a tool and really see it as the fundamental paradigm or DNA change that it is for us as individuals and for our businesses. The choices that we make today will have very direct implications on our postures tomorrow, and we need to be able to plan for those. To what extent are governments enabling or not enabling this process of digitalization and the management of associated risks? Governments have historically been real engines for the development of technology. If you just look back at the history of the internet, it was initially a DARPA US government funded program and many governments continue to significantly invest in domestic capabilities for technology leading to innovation that is incredibly beneficial to the private sector and to to citizens more broadly. But we are seeing somewhat of a change in this space where increasingly many governments by concerns for national security or by concern over their ability to control a space that they increasingly consider as a national space are putting up barriers. And we've seen this in the regulatory space, but we're also seeing this in the broader political discourse that surrounds technology today. There's a few interesting parts to this. I think there's certainly kind of the the enabling side of things. And I think the kind of competition that we're seeing, you know, if you want to kind of see a positive of that geopolitical backdrop of controlling or being dominant in technology, it is that there is more investment, there is more focus on kind of building those capabilities. But I think if we look at more on the kind of the regulatory side, in particular, if we look at the EU and EU institutions, it's almost a little bit of not a backlash, but it feels like these major regulators want to kind of take a step back and understand because the process and the development of these technologies is so quick and is moving so fast. The way we use technology, the way we use 
different digital services is kind of moving much faster than regulators. So we do see a lot of initiatives in terms of, you know, AI is a really good example of scrambling to understand what are all the different implications, like you mentioned, Nick, the kind of ethical side of it, but also the wider kind of backdrop of of where does this sit? How is it being used? And what happens if we kind of lose control over regulating these key technologies? And Stina, it is that pace differential between where governments are today looking versus where organizations are investing that is a real challenge for companies to anticipate. In essence, if you take the example of data privacy, where most of the operationally constraining regulatory frameworks emerged between 2016 to today, the notion of data privacy in most organizations has been around for a long time. And the real risk for businesses is what governments will start looking into in five years are likely to be technologies and information systems that have already been in place for five years in their businesses. So it's not about planning for what emerging technology or future technology or government's going to be concerned with, but potentially what existing technology in our infrastructure are governments going to pay attention to in the future. And therefore, instead of having to change the way we implement things, we might have to completely redesign our organizations. And that's certainly a significant impact on businesses out there. We'll come back to our conversation in just a moment. But if you're enjoying the global insight and haven't visited controlrisks.com, you're missing out. Every week, we're adding new insights to help companies and investors better understand what's going on in the world. If you'd like to find out more about how other control risks experts like Nick and Stina can help your organization to better anticipate, manage, and respond to cybersecurity incidents, get in touch. Guys, what's the risk that a company, while trying to scenario this out, while trying to game this out and understand the way the future is going to evolve, what's the risk of getting it wrong and what's the cost of getting it wrong? The likely risk is it's going to require you to basically redesign processes, systems, and sometimes sort of the way you do business quite quickly to stay compliant with your key stakeholders. That's that's the likely risk. In terms of impact and cost, you have the nightmare scenario, and that's not going to be for every company out there, but it will strike sometimes randomly. And the nightmare scenario is all of a sudden one of your biggest market blacklists either the technology that you use or the way that you use that technology. And and sort of think about this from, again, it's not new, but export controls for dual use technologies that have been in place for decades when a piece of equipment can be considered for both military and civilian usage. Well, the irony is the blurriness of these boundaries is growing. You know. Tomorrow, for instance, the people who invested early in cryptocurrencies have over the past, you know, 10 years probably made quite a bit of money. But for the ones I invested last year, when, when the price was high, thinking it was going to keep going high, all of a sudden it plummeted and it's going to have these fluctuations. It's quite similar to the way you, you see sort of financial markets operate. It's just going to be way more intense and pronounced fluctuation. And it's going to be about having to adapt because if you are not flexible and agile, in essence, what you're risking is the ability to operate at the same size and scale. And in the worst case scenarios, potentially to operate at all. 
Talk us through the sorts of issues that you're, you're helping our clients manage when it comes to cyber risk at the moment. From my perspective as an, an analyst, a lot of this is really around kind of understanding impacts in terms of the kind of external landscape for organizations. So clients coming to us and kind of asking, what does this new technology that we're adopting mean for operations and our risk profile, but also very much understanding how these technologies are being used by the threat actors that we're looking at. So there's a number of areas there where obviously adoption of technologies is universal in the sense that it's not just going to be for the benefit of our clients, you know, how they can use technology to, to kind of improve their defenses, but equally it's, it's being used by threat actors to improve their attacks, using kind of AI again to, to kind of enable various forms of social engineering attacks. For us, it's very much about tracking those two kind of parallel developments. How is technology enabling organizations to better defend themselves? But also, what do we see down the pipeline in terms of new attacks, new vectors, and how these new technologies are being used? I think what's critically important for organizations to understand is that a lot of the decisions that they're making today will directly impact whether or not they're in existence in 10 years. If you bear with me through a slight oversimplification, I'm always reminded of the example of the battle between HD DVD and Blu-ray. It is those moments where single technology overtook and basically eradicated its competitors. And I think a lot of this is starting to play out more and more on the government side around the battle for standards of the technology environment that we all live in. And one of the big questions I often ask our clients is, what will happen tomorrow if you're a European company with a major market in the US and a major market in Russia and have built a single technology stack or the ability for your company to operate using single providers in the software or the hardware space? And all of a sudden, your software provider is banned in your Russian market or is banned in your US market. A lot of these questions are becoming realities for our clients. And they're fundamentally driven by the tensions between the fast pace, single supply chain organization of the technology infrastructure that we use today versus the national security and the regulatory considerations that are happening in this space as well. How exposed is the tech sector to climate change activism and, and what is its contribution to climate change? When you look at the tech sector, and the tech sector is a massive thing in terms of the differences between companies operating in software, operating in hardware, and the services. But if we, if we take the broad family of the tech sector, they're massive energy consumers, electricity consumers in particular. You know, there are reports out there by a number of NGOs and even sort of industry bodies that look at the annual consumption by cloud service providers of electricity to power data centers, but also to cool them down. And it's significant. It's by no means in the public consciousness and in terms of the climate responsibility on, on par with, say, the extractive sector. But increasingly, this issue is going to come to life because it is a sector that is growing in terms of its consumption of energy. There are still billions of people that haven't connected to the tech sector. And these people are going to come online and, and that will have a, a, an energy and fundamentally a climate cause. 
there's a lot of great work that's being done by many tech companies investing in renewables, funding projects over their own energy consumption. A lot of companies are now moving data centers offshore under the sea in order to reduce the cooling requirements and therefore the energy consumptions. There's a lot of work being done on miniaturization or reducing the size of components and devices so that they require less electricity to be powered up. But it's certainly a, a topic of conversation today in, in a lot of circles, and it's one that organizations should bear in mind. You may soon see from an ESG perspective questions about what is your tech supplier's carbon footprint? Okay, because I'm an aspiring tech bro, I'm going to say, Nick, can we double click on that for a second? <laughs> Did you really just say that people are building data centers <laughs> underwater? Yes, I did, Chuck. One of the biggest problems we have in technology is the cooling requirement. I'm sure, Chuck, even you as a tech bro have experienced an overheating laptop. And you know, when we look at the cooling requirement that modern technology has, it's, it's only going to get greater as we keep innovating and we keep bringing in new systems and new pieces of tech. It's just a physical property of power consumption that we're going to generate heat in the process. And the more power you want to generate, the more heat you tend to generate, and therefore the bigger the cooling requirements will be. And this is why many governments and companies, and especially in the tech sector, they're looking to explore ways to use Earth as natural, the environment's natural properties to cool things. And you know, there are very few places on Earth that are cooler than the bottom of the ocean. It's also why we're seeing a real geopolitics of technology and climate coming into play when we look at the Arctic and, and we look at the possibility of placing data centers there. You just take some of the emerging technologies and conversations around quantum computing. One of the real challenges to achieve scalable quantum computing is going to be the ability to cool computers to near zero Kelvin temperatures. And, and that's a really challenging thing to do today. And it is also why the politics of climate change in the tech space are so critical and becoming more and more part of the public discourse. It's coming back to that point around the linkages between ESG agenda and technology, and obviously being based in the Nordics and engaging with a lot of our Nordics clients where sustainability and ESG really is front and center of what they're thinking about. That aspect of technology is only slowly kind of starting to enter those conversations, but it will need to be there much more prominently going forward. Because, you know, we talk about all this technology and, and, and obviously we can talk about, you know, the environmental implications and the impacts from having some of these technologies. They do have an impact on your carbon footprint. You need to factor that into your ESG and your sustainability work. But we need to also kind of consider that we are building our organizations dependent on these technologies. So they need to be somewhere, right? So it's about kind of understanding how do we make it as sustainable as possible? How do we incorporate that thinking in our kind of tech investment in, in our kind of strategies for technology? How much does implementing, you know, AI in the organization add to carbon footprint? These kind of questions are really will become much more prominent for, for organizations to think about, because both of these topics essentially are very much what organizations need to consider going forward. What's the next big thing in digitalization? What are the key risks that businesses need to keep in mind? We have been developing these technologies for more than 10 years, 
and often little to the knowledge of our own organizations or decision makers because they were parked in this IT space, in this tech space, where fundamentally most people in the world, and not just in businesses, just wanted it to work. And now we're talking about the bigger conversation about what is it for? How do we use it? The next big advent for businesses around the world is total enterprise mobility. And there is something that in our field is called edge computing. And for businesses, that's going to be a a very, very significant transformation, which is moving the computer systems closer to the end users. So instead of having sort of very, very, very centralized systems in organizations or very, very centralized architecture, we're going to start creating myriads of very small networks around the world that will bring computing power and resources closer to the users. Why it's important is it's going to be about hyper-flexibility in what you can do with technology and how you do it. So think about what happened when everybody started getting emails on their mobile phones. It's that level of transformation that we're going to get. You know, the cloud has allowed us to do this to some extent, but we're going to be able to do this with everything. We're going to have from wearable devices all the way through its internet of thing evolution to hyper-connectivity across the world. Everything will be instantaneously available, and it will mean that businesses will have huge markets in front of them opening up. The physical barriers to entry to a lot of sectors are going to disappear. And Chuck, you always give that anecdote of a car manufacturing company who was once told you, we're not a car manufacturing company anymore. We're a data company. That's the level of transformation. This was something that was existing for a very large organization. It's now going to exist for every organization out there. On the flip side of that, from my perspective, really, as much as the opportunities of this kind of new world brings, it is really, really critical to consider it from that risk perspective, from the, obviously the cyber risk, but also looking broader at some of the things that we've discussed today, the regulatory side, the reputational side, ESG implications. So taking a view on how these rapid changes in technology will actually affect a whole host of risks to your organization and really adapt to that. I mean, one of the thoughts from my perspective when hearing the future of of hyper-connectivity is really around the challenge of defending organizations. So with all these devices, and we're already there to some extent, you know, all these devices are being connected, the attack surface for organization is just, you know, massive. It will need to come with a lot of agility in terms of how do we defend against this? How do we mitigate some of the associated risk with this new technology adoption. Are there any particular sectors that you think are at the forefront in terms of level of maturity around thinking about the risks associated with digitalization? The tech sector certainly has been at the forefront of a lot of these challenges, not least because they generate and build the systems that generate a lot of data for the rest of the world, but also because they're increasingly politicized by many governments around the world. And then the other sector that comes to mind is finance. Finance has spent the better part of the past two decades developing systems and also working to securing their own digital transformation, not just because of the geopolitical aspects of the work that they do, but also because of the consumer aspects of it. It comes back to that comment around car manufacturer being a data company. And I think a lot of the other sectors that we're engaging with 
are only kind of coming to terms with the fact that they are, in fact, technology companies as opposed to what they typically would brand themselves as because they are so reliant on technologies for for their operations. So it is increasingly coming in other sectors as well, where that kind of realization of how dependent they are on technologies is rising. Bring it down to the user level. Is this going to change the way you and I use technology or our laptops at home or at work? We're constantly seeing it becoming more and more and more accessible. We're having more of our lives on these devices. So certainly we are going to be using technology in very different ways five years down the line compared to what we do currently, just like five years ago, we use technology very differently. So that's just going to be part of adapting to this reality. Stina, thank you for joining us from your home in Sweden. Thanks very much for having me. Nick, I think you're in a room somewhere here in the office next door. Thanks for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, everybody. That's all for this episode of The Global Insight. Stay tuned with new episodes of The Global Insight every other week by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as Legal and Compliance Insights, a monthly podcast that gives you a window onto the legal and compliance issues our experts are facing around the world. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping build secure, compliant, and resilient businesses by visiting controlrisks.com. The Global Insight is produced by Sam Tornio and Vicky Bufton. For me, thanks for listening and bye for now. And goodbye from me.